Hi, thanks for joining us to listen to another message from Rumley Chapel in Cardiff, UK. If you'd like to know more about the chapel, then visit us online at rumleychapel.org or look us up on social media. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, Good morning to everyone watching online as well. Really excited to uh, be sharing with you again today as we continue looking at the Sermon on the Mount series that we've been doing. And this is week three that we're currently on. And this is definitely a week where uh, this morning I'm like, God, I need you to step in. I need you to step up and I need you to deliver a message through me because I was up until half one last night just reiterating my message and trying to just make it sound the way that I believe God wanted me to share it with you this morning. And so I'm hoping that doesn't throw me off. And I'm, I was praying this morning that God will use me mightily because at the end of the day, what I'm saying today, I believe is God's word and not my word. And I pray that that is going to settle on your hearts and you're going to be able to take something away this morning from this. And of course we should because it's Jesus speaking. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at Jesus speaking um, in in scripture um, as he delivers this sermon on the mount. And we're going to continue on that that topic I started uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, on the first week about the difference between this internal and external righteousness. Um, And so... If this gets a little bit confusing, I do encourage you, go back to the first week, listen to that, listen to Mike's one. I believe it's online um, as well. Um, If not, we will get that posted soon. But we're going to continue to look at the Beatitudes and keep going through that sermon today. And last week, Mike looked at the first four attitudes, those being poor in spirit, mourning, meekness and hungering, and thirsting for righteousness. Now, I'm not going to explain any of those this morning. I believe Mike did a great job looking at his notes. Um, and so if you need to catch up on that, um, sorry for those of you who are watching online. I know there was technical dif- difficulties last week, uh, but hopefully there will be none this week. And hopefully that will be online for you to watch as well. But we're going to carry on and we're going to look at the, the next four verses um, So Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 to 10, and this talks about mercy, purity, peacemaking, and persecution. And so hopefully it has appeared behind me. Amazing. So verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor, pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what I love is when we actually look at these attitudes, and as I was thinking about this and studying this, is that as we start to chase after living a life according to these attitudes, we seem to pick up the others along the way. And this first one is a great example of that. So the first one um, is, is mercy. So that's the fifth attitude that, is, that Jesus mentions is mercy. And it becomes a natural byproduct of the first four attitudes that Mike looked at last week. And I believe the reason that this happens is because as we become closer to Christ, we become more like him. We become more like Christ day by day. And the more we are like him, the more our grateful hearts are going to start to overflow with mercy for others. I was going to uh, consider showing a video, and I decided not to because it's five minutes long. Um, so I'll just briefly explain it. Um, but I, 
I remember this from years and years ago where um, it starts off with a boy on a scooter or maybe it's a skateboard and he falls off and a man sees him and he goes and helps him up and the boy is very grateful and he sees this old woman who wants to cross the road and helps her cross the road and this old woman then pays for someone's um, car park meter uh, because they can't find the right change. She then picks up the wallet for someone else who drops it and it goes on and on for five minutes of these acts of kindness going one after the other. And all it took was for one man to show kindness to a small boy who had fallen over, which led to a chain reaction of people not only receiving kindness, but then showing kindness to those around us. And what I love about this video and what I love about this scenario is it's inspiring for us. It's inspiring for us, especially as Christians, to know that our actions can lead onto other people's actions as well. And so we can almost be this catalyst of kindness, of grace, of love and mercy wherever we go. And I also believe that it represents how a person who has experienced God's love, a person who is chasing after God and chasing after these attitudes that Jesus talks about, would naturally show mercy to others because they would start to become more like him. They would understand the mercy that they have received, just like they receive kindness, and then show that on to the next person. There's a few more attitudes as well, and we've we got to go over them briefly today because there's so much to cover. Um, so there's the sixth attitude, which is of being pure in heart, which was found in verse 8, uh, which is basically having a heart which is it's unstained. It's a, a heart that's been wiped clean by God. You know, baptism being a representation of that, you know, laying down that old life, going to new, become pure of heart. And the seventh attitude involves peacemaking, and this is found in verse 9. And it's such that a person that is led by the Spirit, they're receiving help to get right with not only God, but also to get right with one another. The likelihood is, though, if you are living your life according to these first seven attitudes, it's likely that this last attitude is going to take place. And I'm just going to quickly scroll up and read it. Where it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I find it really interesting because if we are living a life according to these first seven, we're going to be looking like Jesus. And it doesn't necessarily mean that because we are being persecuted that we are living a life of righteousness. Like persecution doesn't equate to righteous living because, I mean, we've all met people who have those objectionable personalities that uh, sometimes frustrate us and can lead to persecution from others. But I do believe if we are living in accordance to the gospel, living in accordance to the word of God as a whole, and to, uh, to live in accordance with these attitudes that Jesus is telling us to live by, the more we're going to start to look like Jesus. And he was the one who was persecuted but beyond belief because of who he was. And I definitely don't believe that Jesus was persecuted because he had an abrasive uh, attitude. I definitely don't think it was that. It was his lifestyle. It was his message. And if we live our lives according to Jesus, then we too can expect much of the same. And that's why I believe Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And I love that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus then goes on to talk about uh, outward versus inward righteousness and uh, how it is important for, because 
week one, we were talking about how it's really important, right, that we have this internal righteousness, that it comes from a place deep within our hearts. You know, you can fake it till you make it sometimes, but God really looks at the heart, and that's what he cares about. But he talks here about how it is important to show righteousness externally. And this is where he starts to talk about salt and light. If you've still got your Bibles open, you can start skimming across as I'm I'm reading. Um, I'm not going to read the verses. We just don't have the time this morning. Um, But I do encourage you to go into Matthew 5 and read all of this. But what I find interesting, right, is that these kingdom attitudes, they hold a completely different standard of righteousness, both for the Jews and for us today. Because our primary association when it comes to righteousness is with actions. Because at the end of the day, that's all we can see. It's the fact that our real, physical, everyday world deals with people that cannot see our hearts. And we can often forget that God sees straight past that. God goes beyond the surface. God looks deeper within And therefore, I believe that understanding the difference between internal and external righteousness is actually key to be able to implement what Christ has been saying in this sermon. At the end of the day, I never want to come across for you guys to believe that I'm saying that God and that Jesus is negating external actions. He is not. It's still very important because we are called to be the salt and light of the earth as it's written in verses 13 to 16 in Matthew chapter 5. You know, if we don't look and we don't taste different to the, to the world, the world that can't see deep within our hearts, how on earth are they going to be able to witness the amazing, incredible things that God has done within us, the amazing change that has taken place within our lives, the amazing encounters that we've had with God? That's exactly what Darcy did today. You know, getting baptized, it's an outward expression of what happened internally. Did baptism today change her life? Did it, did it wipe her clean? No, Jesus did that. Today was an outward expression of what God does in our heart. And that's what is important with being salt and light to the earth. Because people see and hear that amazing message that you've got to deliver of how God has changed your circumstance, how God has changed your life, and how he has brought about something absolutely miraculous. But that is only witnessed by external acts of righteousness. However, If you only have an external show, there's a problem. If there's no internal foundation for those actions, not only will we struggle to explain to others how Jesus has changed our lives and our actions, we'd also be no better than the Pharisees who missed the point of the law, as we talked about in week one. There's no point having an external show if there's nothing going on inside. You know, sometimes I can go into to schools, and this isn't written down, but sometimes I can go into schools and maybe I'm struggling. Maybe I'm in a, in a point of time where I'm struggling to spend time with God. Well, if people start asking me questions, I can, I can maybe fake it and try and just give them answers. But it's not the same as when you're in that place. I wrote down the other day about worship as well, about how you can just sense the difference when someone is intimate with God, when they come into a place to lead worship and lead you in worship, compared to someone who can just sing and play guitar. It's not about that. It's what God's doing inside, and the fruit is shown. And we will talk about that in a minute. 
You know, I'm reminded of this time that I went to, um, it was about two months ago, and me and Daniela were looking at trying to find her a laptop to replace her old one because it was terrible and ridiculously slow. And if you're anything like me, I cannot stand slow computers. It drives me up the wall. And so she having to do loads and loads of work for school um, because she just got a new job as a teacher, knew that she had to invest a lot of time making PowerPoints on a computer. And if it was slow, I mean, there's enough work as it is, let alone with a slow computer. And so we went and to uh, John Lewis, I believe, and we were asking about the different laptops. And I remember asking about the, the MacBook that was released because James mentioned how amazing this MacBook is now and it's got this new processor in there. And so I started talking to this man who was obviously trying to sell the product. And he was telling us about how amazing it was. He was saying, you know, it's got this new chip in it. It's the best thing that's ever been created. It's amazing. It makes it so much more efficient. And the CPU, is, oh, the, the RAM is this amount and it's really fast. And just going through all of these specifics of what was inside of this MacBook. And if I then said to him, hey, can I have a go? And he said, actually, no, it doesn't actually function. It just has all this good stuff in it. You think, what on earth? What is the point in that? What a joke. And you know, if the world, if they, they can't see the difference of the, the, the amazing quality of these MacBooks and the changes that have been made within them, how are they going to understand why those things were changed and why those things were developed within you know, I believe this is very true for us as, as Christians. You know, we've been changed internally by God just the same way as the, whoever the guy is who, who does all of the stuff at Apple um, to, to change all those internals. God has done that within us. He has changed us from the inside out. But if there is no external evidence and there's no functionality, just like he told me there was no functionality for this MacBook, if there's no functionality of this internal righteousness that we have, then the world is not going to understand why it's so incredible to know Jesus. They're not going to understand why it's life-changing to know Jesus if there is no functionality of the change that comes within, if there is no external righteousness, if there is no fruit to be produced from the, the, the intimate changing of your heart when you come face-to-face -face with God. And Christ actually gives examples of uh, the difference between external and internal righteousness as we continue to look through Matthew chapter 5. Um, and I'm not going to read uh, the verses here, um, but I'll give you the, the, the part where it comes from. Um, and so you might remember in week one that we actually talked about how Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but rather he came to bring a mature and complete understanding about the law. And then if you look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, you can see that sin is more than murder. It's the anger that produced the murder. If you look at Matthew 5, verse 27 to 32, sin is more than adultery. It's the lust that produced the adultery. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37, sin is more than breaking oaths, um, but it's the lack of integrity that causes us to break those oaths. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. Sin is more than improper retribution, but it's the lack of love and concern for others that prompted the retribution. You know, Jesus, when he starts telling us about this and he starts building upon the original context of the law into a way that we can understand and fathom even more, he was giving us a deeper, truer definition of what sin was. Those feelings that are hidden deep within ourselves that people will only understand based on our external behaviors. 
You know, Christ was getting across that sin is not just something that we do. It's the nature that we were born with. You know, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. I was thinking this through because I was like, I'm not going to say a sentence like this unless I agree with this. And I was literally talking to Daniela last night and I went, this is really interesting. Like, what do I think about this? We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And I really had to just think over that and I, I do agree with it. You know, it's the hatred that produced the murder. It's the lust that produces adultery and so on. You can see it's what was going on within the heart already that produced these sinful actions that we witness and that we call sin from what we observe. But Jesus looks deeper. He sees in our heart. He sees that sin. And that's what he's referring to. He's bringing a fuller understanding of what it means. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 17, Jesus says about the fact that a bad tree cannot produce um, uh, good fruit. It can't help but produce bad fruit. The tree, it's rotten to its core and ultimately so are we without Christ. And although a bad tree might be able to fake producing good fruit, it won't actually produce fruit that is any good. You know, Jesus also says in Matthew chapter 7 verse 20 that you will recognize them by their fruits. So you might be able to try and fake it, but at the end of the day, people are going to recognize falsehood based off the fruit that is produced of your life, of your lifestyle. And Jesus takes this one step further, though, because that's the only way we can judge him. Jesus takes it one step further. Jesus looks at the core of our beings, the very central part of our innermost selves. He searches deep within our heart. And so when it comes to Jesus, there's definitely no fake it till you make it when it comes to our God. So how can this type of righteousness be obtained? The simple answer is this, through Jesus. Darcy mentioned this earlier. It's through meeting Jesus. I love that poem. I love that story. I love that testimony. It was so amazing. And that's where it comes from. It's from meeting Jesus. It's through our salvation with Christ that we can possess such righteousness. It's exactly what it all was representing today. Laying down that old self. Laying down the old ways and the nature that we inherit as sinners. But then walking a new step. Day by day. Chasing after Jesus and trying to mold our characters around the characteristics of Jesus. Shaping our characters around these points that were mentioned. These, these beatitudes. The, the attitudes that Jesus is telling us to live by. It's that longing for something deeper, something purer, and the realization of the necessity and the reliance that we have on Christ. That's what allows us to live righteously. And then we come to look at what are the benefits of this? What's the benefits of righteous living? Well, you can find this in Galatians chapter 5. If you're not accustomed to that already, that's where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the sort of fruits that we will uh, be able to be witnessed by, by other people if we are truly tuning into God. But it also talks about in Galatians 5 that they are both fruits of the Spirit and fruits of the flesh. And Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 to 21 explains how we naturally produce the fruits of the flesh, but the fruits of the Spirit 
that I addressed in verses 22 and 23, they're only produced when we walk by the Spirit. And that's mentioned in verse 16 as well. You may also notice, if you've ever read this passage before, in Galatians 5, and if you go and read it, which I encourage you to do, that at the end of verse 23 it says, "Against, against such things there is no law. I think that's really interesting. I think it ties in with everything that is being said here, what Jesus is saying during this sermon. You know, I believe this is exactly what Christ is talking about, that there is no law, there is no rule, no standard which can produce true righteousness because at the end of the day, only Christ can. Internal righteousness is given, not earned. And if you don't believe me on that, Come and speak to me afterwards and check out Romans chapter 1, verse 14. Check out Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 22. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Internal righteousness is given. It's not earned. It takes a lot of stress off you when you realize that it's a gift from God. Rather than trying to chase after it by ourselves. Because that's what we do, right? We chase after it by ourselves. I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for this. I do it many times. You know, How does this play out practically in everyday living? Think about something like this. How many times have we apologized to our spouse or our friend or a family member for the angry words that we have muttered towards them, but ignored the attitude of anger in our hearts that produced the words in the first place? Or how many times have we looked at a picture or maybe a movie that we shouldn't have looked at, shouldn't have observed, and repented of our action, but don't actually deal with the lust that produced the action. I think this is the point, and this is the problem that we so often face, because we, just like the Pharisees, often try to become doctors, trying to treat our own symptoms. We try to fix the angry mutters, or the evil daggers that we like to give to people who wrong us. Or those lustful looks that we give to people that God says is my child and he loves so very much. Maybe it's the lack of integrity behind our own words and promises or trying to be kind to those that we despise. Maybe we struggle with that and we try and fix it. Rather than actually considering it's just the lack of love that we have towards them. You know, we try so often to remedy these things, these external things that we see, that we don't like to see, and we don't want others to see. However, I believe that Christ does not have the same intention as we do, because Jesus does not intend to be a remedy to our symptoms. My analogy is he's not the otravine to our stuffy nose. I don't know if any of you know what Otravine is, but it absolutely makes my life amazing when I have a runny nose and I can breathe again. But that's not what Jesus comes to do. He's not the Otravine to our stuffy nose. He's not a remedy to our symptoms. He's the all-knowing, he's the all-powerful, all-loving God who wants to look past the symptoms and treat the disease at its very core. Because at the end of the day, that's what's important because the fruit that, is, that, that we bear, it's affected by our very cause. And so if we want to produce good fruit, we need to stop trying to fake it, stop trying to make fruit on our own, go to Jesus, find salvation in him, 
Come back to him again. Ask him, God, help me with these things. Help me live out these attitudes that you want me to live. Help me to stop focusing on the external actions that I'm doing, but to focus on what is going on deeper within me so that I can deal with that, so that I can love others the way that you love me. And this is where the challenge comes in this morning. Where are you at? Are you still trying to remedy the sinful nature that you keep finding yourself slipping back into? Are you in this vicious cycle of feeling like you've gotten past it? You're feeling like you've gotten better to only realize that you haven't actually sorted out the core and bad fruit is being produced again. You're still sick. I want to encourage you, if that is the case, stop trying to be the doctor of your own solution, of your own situation. Stop trying to be the doctor for something that you cannot cure yourself and instead go to the one who has made a way where there is no way. A way in which you can really live a righteous life, both internally and externally. And that starts by coming face to face with God himself and allowing him to look past the dismal fruit that you're trying to bear, but instead for him to focus on the core of your very being and literally changing you from the inside out. And that's when you're going to see beautiful fruit being produced in your life, when you start walking with the Spirit, when you start trusting in God and keeping your eyes fixed on him. He doesn't call for just an inward change either. He calls for an outward change. He's called us to be the salt and the light of the earth. We need to taste and look different so that people understand what is going on within us, to understand how God has changed us radically so that they want some of the exact same thing. Because when people start seeing how lives are changed and transformed, you see this wave of people coming after and chasing after it because people long for it. But how are they ever going to know what they're searching for if we're not willing to show that? If we're not willing to reveal and the, the, the amazing, life-transforming power of the gospel that we've already experienced? It can be hard sometimes, but that comes back to the point that we often rely on ourselves and not on God. And so if you struggle to share your story, if you struggle to, to be real, if you struggle to deal with uh, the, your, your own core, then stop trying to think it's yours to solve. It's God's to solve. He is there. He is waiting for you to come. And I want to encourage you this morning to do that. Find a place, find a time to just sit down with God and to work on those things because God wants to be there for you. He wants to heal you from those things. He wants you to be set free from the chains that bind you. I believe you. And that's why we sing these songs this morning. That's why we sing songs of joy that's why we sing songs like there's power in the name of Jesus to break off every chain because we believe it. Because we have seen it. And for all we have seen in this place, God, I believe you've done nothing yet. And I'm excited. I'm excited seeing what's going on here at Romney Chapel right now. And even more amazing stuff can happen if we're willing to loose the chains, if we're willing to lose our, our self-righteous attitude of thinking we can deal with those symptoms ourselves which we so often do with our little practices that we put in place. And instead, just focus on loving God with everything that we've got because that's, that's the true place where we're going to see amazing things happen when we're just fully and intimately in love with God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, that you are willing to come to earth to take form as man, just like us, to experience this world just as we experience it, but to show that there is a way to be different because you didn't succumb to the ways of this world. And Lord God, 
I pray that we would chase after that, that we would use you as a representation, almost like a mirror. Like as we look at you, we want that reflection to be like us. Let, let you, Jesus, be the reflection of our lives, of our attitudes, of the way that we love people, of the way we show mercy to others, of the way that we view other people, that we would view them as beautiful children of God and not in any other way, that we would stop getting concerned about the symptoms that we see and the issues that, we, that, that we've got with our character, but instead just seek you more intimately and ask you to come in and change us from the inside out. Jesus, I'm sorry for the, for the times that I thought I could do it on my own. I'm sorry for the times that I thought that I knew what I was doing and I thought that I had it all sorted out. But that's not true, Lord God. At the end of the day, the words of the, the, the song that I, that, that I wrote is true. That's why I wrote them. You know, I want to love you again because that's where it all starts. That's where it all begins with us just loving you again. So, Lord God, we just say this morning, have my all. Have my all, Lord Jesus, because we do. We want to love you again, but we want to love you fuller. We want to love you more than we ever have before and truly experience how you transform lives, Lord God. Let our own lives be exactly what we saw going on behind us, a representation, but rather than a representation, a reality of us laying down our old lives and raising up in new lives, walking with you, Jesus, day by day, aiming to live out these attitudes you've given us and aiming to live out a life that is worthy of calling you our King, our Lord, our everything. In Jesus' name, amen.